0: Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, Father, we thank you for this text. Uh, Father, we pray that you uh, would speak mightily, speak boldly uh, through this text. And uh, Father, I pray that you uh, would make yourself known in a mighty, mighty way. uh, Father, I pray that God, as you speak to our hearts, God, you would just... Meet us where we are, that you would challenge us, that you would mold us and shape us. And Father, for those that are here for the very first time, I pray that they would see um, the heart of our church and the heart of our leadership team and most of all, the heart of you uh, as you want to reach people who need the hope uh, of the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen. Um, Verse 1 in Colossians chapter 4 simply says this. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Uh, Last week, we closed with this particular verse, and uh, we spoke specifically to what it looked like to be a slave. And slaves in that particular day and time, if you're new, uh, was something that was in the culture. It wasn't something that the church implemented. It wasn't even something that the church supported. Paul didn't support slavery. Matter of fact, what he did in addressing it in Colossians chapter 3 is he said, if you're going to continue this maintaining relationship of a master-slave relationship, then you need to have some boundaries. You need to make sure that you do some things right, that you treat each other fairly. And I think oftentimes we find ourselves under the uh, influence of a dogmatic boss, someone who uh, it is this way because I said that, uh, not necessarily because they live it out, not because they necessarily... Uh, do everything right, but they just have this great influence. And what he does in Ephesians chapter uh, 6, he actually flips it on its head and he does the same thing in verse 1, although he doesn't give a lot of detail to it. He says, Look, masters, you expect a lot out of your slaves, but the bottom line is you ought to do what's right and fair because you have a master in heaven. And so the idea is this if you really want to be a good boss or you want to be a, a, a master in the sense that you want people uh, to have. Uh, influence in their life? as they're your subordinates? They come up under your influence. He goes, treat them like Jesus Christ would. That's basically the idea. He goes, be right and fair. And oftentimes we don't find that. Even in Christian circles, we don't find right and fair. Uh, We often find ourselves under the guise of leadership saying things that are right and fair, even using sometimes scripture uh, out of context to manipulate and sometimes put put people up under your management the bottom line is this everything you ought to do ought to be out of love and truth and it ought to be right and fair and that's what he's saying and here's the bottom line then he moves in and he moves into something that's true for all of us and um, he's particularly going to talk to the church and what's interesting is in the first chapter uh, in the second chapter you get lots of theology chapter three you get influence in your life what it looks like to live in the spirit of truth uh, not in the flesh not doing the things that you want to do, uh, the, the things that you've seen what, what's right to man, but what's right in God's eyes. And then he moves from there to the home. He, he sees uh, and shows us what it looks like to be great husbands and, and wives, what it looks like to be parents, uh, what it looks like to have a good business and also to be a great employee. And then he moves from there to the church. And he's going to talk to the church. And Paul is writing this church in Colossae, and he's going to lay out a handful of things that are very challenging for the church in Colossae and are very challenging for our church today. And that's what he says. Number one, and starting in verse two, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. Now, I think this is a challenge for almost all of us, right? I mean, honestly, every single person in here would say that we could strengthen our prayer life. Every single one of us in here could say that I wish I was more devoted when it comes to the area of prayer. Very, very few people have I met in my life that I genuinely knew that they were praying for me. And when I say praying for me, there are a handful of people in this church that they say, Brandon, I am praying for you. I know they pray for me on a daily basis. They understand what it is that that God's doing within this church, what he's doing within the confines of this ministry, uh, in in this particular uh, church, but also in our community, in our county, and I know that there are some people that are praying for me. I had a a dear lady in a former ministry and former church, and she would call me up on the phone almost weekly, and she would say, Brandon, how could I pray for you? And this lady was elderly, and when I say elderly, I mean not just old, but I'm just feeble. She just did didn't have a lot of strength in her bones anymore. She couldn't come to every service. But the bottom line is, whether she was sitting in, in her chair or, or not, you knew that she was devoting herself to prayer. And you knew that she was on guard because what he says next is, not only devote yourselves to prayer, but he says, and be watchful. And then he says, and thankful. And the idea here, what Paul is doing is spectacular. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. That's the key component of how you get things done. If you're in here and you don't pray very well, then I'll tell you why. Here's one. One, you don't believe that God can do effective things through prayer. Or two, you're very overconfident in your own ability. You either don't believe that God can accomplish anything through your prayer or you're overconfident. I think oftentimes we're overconfident. I think we think we can manage this life by ourselves. And while we know God's available and we know that He could come in at any moment and save the day, we would rather try to figure things out on our own. And the bottom line is that's characterizing our churches today. Our churches do not pray, and here's why, because they're not watchful. What's he mean there? When he says watchful, he's literally saying stand guard. The idea is this, if you're in the middle of a a military battle and your troops need rest, you're going to encourage the men to rest. But you're also going to have a handful that sit along the perimeter, right? And at night, you're hoping that they're going to stay up and they're going to be watchful. Yes? Yeah, at least I hope. And the way I like sleep, I'm like, please don't put me on watch. And the bottom line is, is that what Paul's attitude is, he says, be prayerful and watchful. The idea is, stand guard. Why? Like, why is he saying this? He is saying this. In the church, the way things get done is by aligning your hearts with our Savior in prayer and understanding that you and I ought to be watchful because we live in a day and age where the enemy roars around. He's, he's roaring, and he, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy you, your marriage, your family, our church, your business, everything. He does not want you to see success, and he certainly doesn't want you to understand God's hope and his provision for your life. He wants to get you in a dark area where you feel isolated and alone, and he wants to chew on you. And what Paul says is the only way to prevent it is to be prayerful and watchful, understanding that there is something happening in this day and age that you and I better understand. And the problem is, is that Oftentimes, in the church, we don't get this. Like, you don't get it. Like, we love the idea of spiritual things, but we really don't like the idea of understanding how there's a spiritual realm happening around us. For instance, like, I've challenged you with this question many times. How many of you came in today with these three things? Prayerful, watchful, and thankful. Like how many of you devoted yourselves to prayer this week, specifically for this time, for this hour, in this moment, that God would speak. That we would hold off the enemy as we go to war today on behalf of God and His kingdom. Being thankful that He redeemed us in the first place. It's not happening, friends. And we oftentimes wonder why we think the preaching stagnant. You know, stale. The music wasn't that great. Because we're not approaching our life we're not approaching our worship with the attitude of being prayerful, watchful, and thankful. I could end right there, I think. And it could be, that could be powerful. And it could be thought-provoking. But, but the bottom line is he continues. He says, and be in prayer for us too, that God may open the door for our message, for the message. And do you know what Paul does here? It's an incredible thing. He says, I need you to be prayerful, watchful, and thankful, and to pray for us, too, that God would open some doors. Like, next week, we're going to share with you some really major things happening in the life of our church. When I say major things, I'm talking things that have made me fearful for months, made me fearful to articulate to you what God is saying to me. Like, honestly, where we are in the life of our church has been capped by the lid of its leadership. The idea is this, and, and I'll go ahead and give you a little bit of idea. Next week, I'm going to confess to you some areas I am in my own Christian walk that's preventing you and I from seeing God move in a mighty way within our own church. And the bottom line is, is that it all comes down to this, is that God is trying to stir and open the doors and to proclaim a message, and we as the church, me too, keep preventing it because of our own fears and our own excuses. And the bottom line here is it says that God opens the door. Do you see that? Like Paul gives us a great illustration of that. Acts chapter 14, he says on arriving there, specifically he was talking about a place called Antioch, he said they gathered the church together and they reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith for the Gentiles. You see, God opened the door and they got to see these incredible things happen. Like, do you realize that today the reason that God has accomplished all that He has in this community, in this county, in this area within 25 miles within the body of this church is not because of you. It's not. It's not because of you. It's not because you put hours upon hours of service in. It's not because you have devoted yourself to a ton of prayers. It's not because of me. It's because God has ordained for this season and this time to open a door of ministry to these people in this area that needed the gospel. It's bigger than you and me is the point. It's bigger than you and me. And the bottom line is, as he does this, he opens a door for the message so that he can proclaim what? Himself. Which he says in this particular point, Paul says, is a mystery. So Christ wants to open a door to proclaim himself, but it's a mystery. And the word mystery there is this Greek word that we've talked about before, but it's called mysterion. And the idea is that it's hidden. So get this. like here, I'm going to challenge some of you. you ready for it? I'm going to challenge me too. God is stirring for the opportunity for our church to go to greater heights and greater levels, to reach more people for the cause of the gospel. And there are many of us in this room, and even me, that have squished it. And we've squished it in our fear, we've squished it in our excuses, we've, we've, we've squished it in our lack of commitment. Thinking that it may be too hard, that it may cost too much money, that it, it, may, it may tax our people way too much. I've had people tell me, well, why are we going to Edgewood? Can't they just drive to us? And it doesn't really make sense that you would spend thousands upon thousands of dollars to reach a handful of people for the cause of the gospel when you think they could just get in the car and drive here. But the bottom line is, it doesn't matter what your brain or my brain's telling me, because it matters most of all what God is telling us. Hold on, let let me explain this to you. If God's opening a door, then it's not your job and your humanity or your own wisdom to tell God when to shut it. And it's not mine. I don't get to tell God, here's this door that's being opened, and then I'm going to prevent it. Who am I to challenge God's authority when He opens doors and He closes doors? Who are you to challenge God? And you know, one of the things I'm going to confess to you is fear. Fear. Fear of losing people. Because it doesn't make sense all the time when we do things as leaders. Like, why did they do that? Why, why are they, why? that doesn't make sense. And can I just confess to you something real quick? It's not a part of my confession next week. But most of the things that come across my plate and my platter these days as the pastor of our church do not make sense to me. Most, almost everything that I deal with on a daily basis now is different than what it looked like when I pastored a church of 100 people. It looked totally different than what it looked like to, to lead this church, this organization called Stone Point Church when we were a church of 250 or 300 people. And now the things that come across my plate and our leadership place, they seem sometimes unsurmountable. They seem overwhelming. They're confusing. They're chaotic. They're trepidatious and, and they cause fear. They cause anxiety. And most of the nights, I go to bed and I have tension in my back that doesn't make sense. And I hurt and I'm tired. And the bottom line is the reason why is not because God's not strong enough. The reason why is I'm not prayerful, watchful, and thankful. And I'm not trusting God when He opens the doors. Because I'm scared of you. Can I just be honest? I'm scared of you. He just doesn't pastor very well. He didn't care about me. I just, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't really, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to spend my money the right way. Man, I, I don't know. I don't really like the idea of going over there. It seems pretty taxing. We are have to set up chairs and tear down chairs every week, and why would we do that? Why, why don't they just come here? You asked those questions, hadn't you? I've asked them. Bottom line is, is that I've stopped moving and I've stopped challenging you because of my own fear. And the bottom line is, is I don't get to open and close doors. God does. And you need to know that. Like, you need to understand something. The only movement that we try to make here is for God's glory. Like, if you think for a moment that the glory that that is being received is, oh, man, Brian I don't know what you've done. Like, can I just confess to you, I've actually done more to hurt our church than probably help it. Like, God's grace being poured out on this place is in spite of me and my leadership and how I manage and run our staff and how I encourage our volunteers. It's God's grace. Why? Because he is the one who makes known the mystery that's hidden. Do you understand this? Look, look what it says. It's him that, that makes the mystery known. It's the idea of, of kind of a fraternity. Like, you know how like, in college you might have been a part of something special and like you had to do something stupid to get into it? You know what I'm talking about? Yes, and like you, it was a secret handshake and it was only a handful of things. That, like, and you wanted to know more, but you couldn't know more unless somebody told you. That's the idea of the gospel. The gospel, my friends, is not simply I go to church every week, and I hear this story, God loves me, and he died on the cross for my sins, and I'm going to believe, confess, and then I'm going to go about my business knowing that I go to heaven one day. Now, the gospel permeates your life, and it's something that was hidden to you but once God made revealed. Like you were in darkness, and he brought you into the light. And it wasn't something that you understood. It wasn't something that you performed. It wasn't something that made sense. It was something that God profoundly spoke to your heart. And by His sovereign grace, He plucked you out of where you were and He set you in a new hope and a new direction. Not based off of your merit or your works or what you've done or haven't done. But because of His grace. And He made it clearly known because that's what God does. And so things that you and I don't understand, he made known. The problem is, is this, is that we don't probably pray enough, expect enough. We're not near watchful. We're not near thankful enough. And we're certainly, I don't think, praying enough that God would make his message known around the world. Does that make sense? Like I don't know if you you understand this. Like, listen to me. If God wants us to use the influence of this church body to reach people in Canton or in Edgewood or in Van or in Edom, who are you and who am I to prevent something that God wants us to do? Like Because I, I, don't, I don't stand up here as a leader and go, okay, Lord, I'm looking for new ways to bring added pressure to my life. <laughs> I would really like to expand our influence to thousands upon thousands of people so more of them could hate me and, and say, hey, he's not a very good pastor. No, the only reason that I want to expand anything is for God's glory. Like, the added pressure is not because of me. Matter of fact, it's the added pressure that scares me. And it keeps me and prevents me from being who God's calling me to be and our church to be. Does that make sense? That's the struggle. And the bottom line is God's the one that opens the doors. He's in control of it. He opens doors, and He speaks, and He reveals the mystery. And get this, all we have to do is what? Be willing to watchful, prayerful, thankful, and we're able to share. Do you know how, how difficult it is for so many of you to share the greatest hope in the world? Like Christ has really influenced your life. Like you feel him even right now in this moment, he's stirring you to something greater. He wants you to leave the life that has become accustomed to you, and he wants you to follow him. And you're scared, like you don't, you don't know what will people think. Will they be weirded out? And it scares you. But for those of you that have followed, you've got the greatest hope that the world has ever known. You have this mystery made known to you that you can reveal to others. And you don't. And we don't. We don't talk about it. Because we live in a culture right now that everything we talk about is tolerance. You let them believe what they believe. You believe what you believe. And as long as they don't conflict, we're fine. But the bottom line is, is that's not what he says. He says, when there is a door that's open, proclaim the message. And trust that God is going to do what? Reveal the mystery, so that means this here's the here's the great thing you all you've got to do is tell them the hope that you have, and then God's going to do everything else yes yes, so all I got to do is like be normal, yes, because weird Christians freak everybody out <laughs> I'll just tell you, okay they do just. Be you. And you're like, well, I'm weird. Okay, you understand what I'm saying. Be you. you. All you have to do is say, this is where I was. This is where my life was messed up and I was headed. But God, by his wonderful grace, he set me on new ground. And I don't understand how it all happened. Matter of fact, I look back on the timeline. and I wonder, like, what was God doing? And now I see it so clearly. It's like as Archie said. He said, we've been praying. They've been praying, genuinely praying for a gentleman to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And let me explain something to you. This gentleman, when he came to faith in Jesus Christ, it wasn't as a result of a, a lot of conversations and it wasn't a result of us speaking to him individually. know, he picked up the phone and he called me and he said, I have been listening to messages for a couple of years. I have been watching my wife and my daughter grow in Jesus Christ. And it is time I know God has revealed himself, and I just need to know how to let him lead. And I'm like, oh, thank you. (laughs) And it was all God. It had nothing to do with anything other than people praying, being watchful and thankful, and God just taking it over from there. And so really, for me, what God's teaching me in this moment is like, Brandon, the pressure's not on you, man. pressure's not on you. All you've got to do is be obedient. That's pretty awesome. And then he says, Look, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And he goes, Hey, here's the deal. Pray that I can proclaim it. That's what we just talked about. It's that you would make the gospel simple for people. The gospel's not difficult. You don't have to be a pastor or a priest or a monk to understand this. You don't have to go to seminary to understand God's greatest revision to humanity. Do you understand this? God sent his one and only Son who is perfect in every way to die a sinner's death on a cross so that you may be made righteous in God's sight. Not because you are righteous, but because Christ is righteous on your behalf. That's it. That's the gospel. Preach it. Simply. And then he takes it and he does a paradigm shift in verse 5 because what he does is he goes, Hey, pray for me. Pray that I uh, am doing the things that I should. Pray that I'm preaching. Pray that God's opening the doors. Pray that I'm making the gospel simple. And then he shifts it. And you know what he does? He takes the focus off of himself and he places on the church and Colossae. And so here you go, church. You ready? He takes it and he puts the emphasis on you. You ready? This is for you. This is for me, the church. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Can you do that? Can you do that? That's all, that, that's all that he's saying. Hey, will you do this? Look at this. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Right there is, is a struggle for many of us. Because basically what he's saying is, if you have the gospel on your heart and on your mind, then you're wise in the way you act towards outsiders. It means you're not duplistic in your thought process. It means that you're not one way here and another way out there. It means that, I struggle with this too, just so you know. Like, it means that when someone doesn't serve you properly at your favorite restaurant, or they charge you too much, you don't go ballistic. It means that you don't get outraged and frustrated and huff and puff. Because you know that ultimately there's more to this than just that plate. It means that you're wise in the way that you handle yourself, the way that you deal with your business, the way that you deal with your relationships around you. Why? Because you make the most of every opportunity. And so... We talk about this often. The greatest challenge to our church and to the church in America is that most people don't want to come here, even to Stone Point, because they feel like it's full of a bunch of, you know. The problem is, is that we are the hypocrites. And maybe you're here to church, like for the first time at Stone Point, and you're like, I don't know, man, I'm kind of watching people closely. I'll go ahead and, I'll go ahead and spoil it for you. Our church is full of them. In this room right now, you can look around and you can see people who are hypocrites. Just get used to it. Get used to it. I'm a hypocrite. There are many times where I preach something that I don't live. There are many times that I confess that I'm praying and I don't. I am a liar. I am a thief. I am a sinner saved by God's grace. Problem is, is when you become comfortable in that sin. And when you become comfortable while just living there and, and taking the name of hypocrite, when you become comfortable with your struggle and your addiction, and when you just play it off as, "Oh, well, this is just who I am. No, God has manifested himself, made the mystery known, so that he can move you from where you are to where he wants you to be. And it's a daily process. And, and here's the bottom line is, if you occasionally stumble... That I can see God's grace. But if you always struggle and say God will simply forgive me, the problem is you don't understand salvation. And you don't understand what he's trying to do. He's trying to move you forward. So act wise towards outsiders. Why? Because there's people sitting in this very room who have given us a chance today. And the one thing that may ruin it is you and me. Not because God didn't open the door. And not because he doesn't want to make the most of this opportunity. It's you and I. We keep... Botching the deal. Isn't that it? It happens all the time. And we're okay with it. We're okay with it. We just go, yeah, it, it happened. No. No, it can't just continue to happen. Why? Because we have to make the most of every opportunity. What does that mean? Listen, to this, this is so cool. Make the most of every opportunity. In the Greek, it literally means to redeem the time. Y'all, y'all remember back in the English days in school, if you remember anything, you remember this phrase, carpe, seize the it means make the most of the opportunity. And here he uses two Greek words, and those imply a couple of things. One of the words literally means to buy. And you buy when everything is good. Does that make sense? Ladies, you can relate. When you get in a shopping mode, particularly on tax-free weekend, and you decide, I'm going to go out in the middle of all these crowds, and I'm going to make the most of this, and you stumble across a store that they just have deals that you haven't seen. You had a budget, right? But you're okay with explaining to your spouse that I had to go over the budget because they don't have deals like this very often. And you bought up. Like, you made the most of that moment. You know what I mean? Yes? And your husband's like, I just don't get it. And like, well, this happened to Kelly and I a couple of months ago. We were putting in some landscape at our house, and we stumbled... To Lowe's and Rockwall, and it was one night that we happened to get away for a date night, and we needed to go in for like one thing, and we stumbled through the garden department, and guess what? All of their plants were at least fifty percent off. Some of their potted plants, like they're usually sixteen bucks, we were getting for twenty five percent, like four bucks. I mean, and I'm talking like blooming beautifully. I'm not talking about like dead wilted things over here. I'm like, uh, I'm like, and I go almost into like, I don't know. I I, I love plants and gardening and horticulture and all that it's a little weird i know but i'm like i am in heaven like <laughs> let's do this and i had no intention of spending any money and next thing i know i've spent like over 200 bucks and my entire truck is covered with plants <laughs> but if we're like we seize the moment i'm calling up friends and i'm like hey like if you need plants you need to go like soon i'm i'm even calling Lowe's on the way home and i'm like oh, how long is this deal lasting and some of you were here, like, you remember me saying, you need to get to lows, okay? <laughs> and the bottom line is, is that that's what it means. It means to buy up when it's, when it's time. And then it says, the idea here is this, is at the proper time. And the time, that, there's two words of the Greek for time. There's chronos, which means time. Like, you and I know that we have time. Like, time is, is what's created. We are in time and space. Paul doesn't use just the chronos word. He uses another one called kairos. And the idea is, is that you have a particular set of time. The time comes and goes. Like parents, you are telling your kids right now, hey, you got two weeks, better enjoy it. Meaning that this summer break is coming to an end, right? Parents, you tell your kids all the time as they complain about their free rent, as they lounge around in summer in the cool air doing nothing wondering why they can't take take out the trash, right? And you say, you need to enjoy it now because it won't always be this way. Meaning, there's gonna be a day where you're gonna have bills and there's gonna be a day where you have to manage your household and and oftentimes, don't we as adults go, golly, I wish I could go back there when I had no responsibility. Yes? But you know that that's not really true and so you try to encourage your kids. Like, older people, Older adults, like you encourage us younger people all the time and you say things like this all the time. Hey, you better enjoy them while you got them. Meaning your kids, because it'll come and it'll go. What he says is this. He goes, you need to buy up the time because it's limited. Meaning, we're living in a day and age called the church age, where the church is the most powerful agency in the world. Let me explain this to you. The church is the most powerful powerful agency in the world. It has the greatest influence of hope all across the world. And we're not as people in the church, part of the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the sheep of a great shepherd, we are not redeeming our time. Meaning, there's a time where this is going to end. The church age is going to end. The door is going to shut. Jesus is going to come back and rapture his church. You're going to have a seven-year tribulation, a millennial reign, and ultimately he's going to set up a new heaven and a new earth. And we are in a limited season or a time in our lives where we have a chance to buy up as much as we can over time. So basically, the question is, Is how are you making The gospel count in your life. Now, look at it. That's what he says. Pray that I'm able to proclaim it clearly as I should be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Meaning, all these things that you just use as an excuse you call sin are actually being a detriment to the very small season in your life to reach people for the cause of the gospel. And you have very little time. So God is giving you this great influence and this season and this time and you don't take it because you're more concerned with yourself. Let me me just make this real clear and I'm going to say this in truth and in love and then we're going to figure out a way to cover the rest of those verses in like two minutes. (laughs) I have always given people an excuse here. I've done it since we began and here's one of the excuses. Man, if you're not a kid person, don't serve back there. But what God has spoken to my heart through the study of this text is something different. Statistics tell us that all the kids that are right over here in this wall playing and learning a simple text this morning about one key truth from God's Word, that they'll need to come to faith in Jesus Christ by the time they're 14 or they never will. And one of the things that I've noticed is is that we have more and more people that either approach it like it's a daycare or we would say, no, that's just too hard. And I don't think I'm the right fit. Well, here's what I've committed to. This next year, I'm going to take 10 Sundays off in which I'm not going to preach from this stage. Maybe more because I've got vacation. And I'm going to serve back there because I know that we have to redeem the time. Listen to me. There are fifth graders, they're about to go to the hardest times in their life, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade, as they move up, and we have a limited opportunity to share the gospel. Limited. And I get this. It may not be your strong suit, and I mean, you may not be the best, but the bottom line is, is this. Do you know the hope of Jesus Christ, and can you share it and have influence in the life of a little one who needs the gospel? Yes, you can. And yes, you should. Yes, you can, and yes, you should. Why? Because we have an hour with kids, and then we have to somehow find a way to bridge that hour to parent relationships. And so, here's the bottom line: If you are a parent, you ought to be serving in there. If you have a kid, you ought to serve at least some time back there. You're like, man, he's guilting me into it. No, I'm not guilting you into it. I am challenging you because I want to take all the excuses. I've given you excuse. Parents, you have but one job on planet Earth. Do you understand what this is? Listen to me. It is not to give your kids a great home. It is not to give them good genes or make sure that they have all the school supplies when they go back in a couple of weeks. You have one job, and that is to share the message of Jesus Christ. That's it. That is the greatest job you have. That is the greatest influence that God has given you. And yet the one hour that you have to build fundamental truth into them, we dump them off on someone else saying, hey, I hope you'll watch them so I can go in there. And God's just gripped my heart on that. I have to be an advocate for our kids' ministry and our student ministry. And I have to call you to raise the bar too. And maybe it's not there that you're serving. Maybe you love kids and God's compelling you to serve someone else. I can tell you this. You and I cannot reach people with the gospel if we continue to sit in our seats and do nothing but soak it in. You cannot reach people with the gospel if you continue to sit in your seat and soak it in. And so he moves on, verse 6. Here we go. Y'all ready? How in the world are we going to do this? Here we go. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer everyone. Your speech reveals who you are. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, what? Speaks. And he says, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. You're like, Tychicus, who is this? Well, he's mentioned five times in the New Testament. And we see that he is a guy who has aligned himself as a follower of Jesus Christ and he loves Paul. He's devoted to Paul. He is a dear brother, is what Paul says. A faithful minister and a fellow servant of the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances, that you that he may encourage your hearts. He goes, he is a guy that you would like to be around, and he has encouraged me, and I'm sending him for you for this express purpose because hey, he is one of those gritty guys. When the going gets tough, he's there. He is there. You got me? Are you are you a, a Tichikas? Somebody just goes like, I got you. I saw it. I heard it. You're cra- it's crazy what i see from here did you know that <laughs> it's just fyi he's looking at me like you keep doing this strange thing in your seat i'm sorry i can't help it <laughs> he is coming with onisimus who is onisimus how do you get these names anyway Onesimus is a slave who ran away from his master maybe that's why there's verse 1 and maybe that's why he wrote part of chapter 5 or chapter 3 because hey he goes hey Onesimus, he's a faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that's happening here. Some of you are Onesimus. Like you ran away and you have a relationship that's broken and needs to be repaired. And he's challenging Onesimus. And in Philemon, you even see it. Paul writes to Philemon, who is also a slave, and he says, y'all make sure to take care of Onesimus when he comes to you. You make sure that you encourage him, love on him, and forgive him. And the bottom line is there's some of you in here that the greatest thing is preventing you from being an influence for Christ is that you cannot forgive someone right next to you. Look at me. I'm gonna explain something to you. Have an adult conversation. Look them in the eye and get it straight, and then say, I love you. I this is where I misspoke. This is where I had a challenge, this is where I misunderstood you, or I felt wronged by you, and get it right. Get it right. Get it right! That is the only thing I can implore to you. If you don't want to devastate God's church, the greatest agency in the world, you've got to get it right. Why? Because it's that important. You have to get it right. And quit hiding under the guise that someone else is the sinner. Get it right! Men, have a conversation! Women, quit going to your friends and talking about it. Have a conversation. It is not that hard. Truth and love. I'm sorry. Do you know how many times I have to do that? A lot. I'm sorry. I missed it. I'm, I said something that I shouldn't have said. I responded in a way that I shouldn't have responded. And that's what he, is that guy. He made things right. Then when it says, my fellow prisoner, Aristarchus. Awesome. Sends you greetings, as does Mark. Aristarchus is a guy who he was literally almost beaten by his, for his faith. You see his name mentioned several times. He was drugged in front of a host of people who believed that he was defaming one of the goddesses. And he was put it on the line for the gospel. In tough times, in dark times, he was like, hey, so be it. He gave his life for the cause of the gospel. He says, and he sends his greetings, as does Mark. Mark is a guy who he tucked tail and ran. Matter of fact, Paul and him had a disagreement because Mark didn't do what he said he was going to do, and it made Paul furious. Matter of fact, they broke up for some time, and you see them reunited here. And so they worked it out. They got some things right, and they worked it out. But it, it was a challenge for them. And there are some of us that when things get tough, we tuck tail and run. We're not the Aristarchus that we stay in. There's very few of us that we're gonna stand in and take the hit. Most of us, when somebody hurts our feelings or our group doesn't work out the way that we like or the church says something that we don't like, which probably as many of you at this point today, you just go, I'm gonna tuck tail and run. This isn't the place for me. And really what he's saying, no, you actually need to learn. There is core truth here. And there are many of you who have spoken truth into my life and when you said it initially, it struck me the wrong way. I was offensive towards it but it caused me to grow because you did it in truth and in love. And that's what happens. That's what it's imploring. And then he says this, and he's the cousin of Barnabas. Barnabas is the encourager. Barnabas is the guy who gave Paul a chance. You remember everybody's like, oh, stay away from Paul. And Barnabas was the one who actually lined up with Paul, learned about him, and then came back to the church and said, no, you can trust this guy. That's Barnabas. Barnabas is the encourager. Barnabas is the one who reunited Mark and Paul, Barnabas is that guy who he stands in the gap for other people. He's like, look, listen, don't do this. Get it right. And let's move on. He's the encourager. He's the one who's always speaking truth, but doing a way like you want to be around this guy. That's Barnabas. Right? You know those people? Yes. Are you with me? Yes. Just checking. Okay. And then he says this. You need to receive the instructions about him. And if he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called justice, also sends greetings. We don't know anything about Jesus because he's not the Jesus we know a lot about. And so he calls himself justice. Why? Because he's like, don't put the attention on me. I'm just a servant of the most high king. And that's all we know. He's a servant and he doesn't think much of himself because he even changes his name saying, I'm not worthy to be called Jesus. That's a pretty cool guy. That's a servant. And then he says this. These are the only Jews among my coworkers for the kingdom of God as they have proved comfort to me. And then he says, there's a guy named Epaphras, verse 12, who is one of you and is a servant of Christ Jesus, and he sends greetings. We know a lot about Epaphras. We see him crop up in Ephesians. We see him crop up in Philippians. We see him crop up here in a couple other locations. This guy is mature. Look what he says. This is the kind of person that you want in your church. He's always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him because he's working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. What does he say? This is the guy that you can count on. You know the person that you go, hey, will you pray for me? They go, yes, I will pray for you. Oh, you know that they go to bat for you. That's him. And this is the guy that Paul thinks a lot about. And he says, our dear friend Luke, the doctor. Luke is the guy who wrote Acts and the guy who wrote Luke. And he, he is incredible. When I say incredible, he's an incredible historian. Matter of fact, Sir William Ramsey said he is the Greatest historian that's ever lived, and that's Luke. He knew the facts. He talked to people, and he got things right. So if you ever question anything, he said, don't question Luke and his writing. And then you see in Damas, who sends greetings. Now, you don't want to be a Damas. And the reason why is because there's not much contained here. But in 2 Timothy 4.10, it says, For Damas, because he loved this world, he deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Damas is the guy who he deserted for the world. See it. They come and they go. Do you know how many times we see this? Can I explain, like, one of our greatest struggles here? And then I'm going to wrap it up and close. The greatest struggle within our church right now is the damas. It's the person who they start out with an incredible fire, and they show up, and they're excited. They even shy, they sign this crazy thing called a covenant. And they go, I'm going to get plugged in, and I'm going to get going on my journey. I'm going to get committed to a journey group, and I'm going to serve somewhere. I'm going to get plugged in. I'm going to tell people about our church. I'm going to invite them and share Jesus Christ. And like initially, they get going. And then something happens. Circumstances hit their life. Someone frustrates them, angers them, makes them mad. And guess what? They're gone. And you don't see them much anymore. And you text them and they don't reply. And you send them a little message and they're like, "Mm, I don't know who that was. No, it was me. I promise. It was me. And we go, what is going on? And we care. What's going on? And you and I, we do, we hide under the guise of busyness. But it's what this text implies, and this is where I have to challenge you, because this is where God's challenged me. Listen to me. I am as busy as you are. I promise. But busyness is not an excuse for not sharing the gospel and making Christ known. Your busyness does not excuse you from being a Christ follower because when you decided to become a Christ follower and follow Jesus in your life, you gave up your right to make excuses anymore. And so you've got to decide, who am I going to be? Am I going to be one of these guys or am I going to be a damas? And he says, give my greetings to the brothers and sisters of Laodicea and to Nympha, which is the lady in, that's serving in the church. And so ladies, it's not just men. She's serving in her church well. She's giving up her house for the cause of Christ. And after this letter's been read to you, see that it also is read to the church of Laodicea and so, in turn could be read as a letter from Laodicea. And tell Archippus, see to the, is, well, that you complete the ministry you've received of the Lord. I, Paul, write this as a greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. And he says, I do this even though the Romans hate it. They feel like Christ has become most important over Caesar. And he has, but I proclaim it anyway. And don't wrong, my own people hate me too. Because Israel, they keep talking about this law and about how you have to be good in order to have favor with God. And I keep talking about his glorious grace. The bottom line is this, church. If you've been changed by God's grace, then you have to share it. You have to. Not because I command it, because I have no authority here. I don't have no authority in your life other than to preach the word and I love you too much to allow you to settle where you've settled and we're we have too much at stake and I'll share next with week with you what's at stake okay so you want to be here because I promise you there's a lot at stake and so I hope that you'll come let me pray for you uh father I love you and I thank you for today I thank you for this text I thank you lord um that somehow we're able to get through 18 verses and uh um, Lord, it did. It took us a long time. And my prayer is that you struck a chord somewhere in someone's heart and that, Lord, you've challenged us to become more like you, more devoted to you and to your church for the cause of your gospel, that you would make the mystery known to people in this county and in this area uh, of East Texas so that, that you find all the glory and the honor in our lives. I love you and I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.